some version of, wonder what's driving all the selling today. That's generally not a rhetorical thought, as the ponderer often is looking for some manner of explanation. Instead of offering one, though, I occasionally respond with a, yeah, I wonder what's driving all the buying. That response, as you might imagine, often is met with a quizzical look. After all, how can the market be going down if folks are buying stocks? The quick answer, of course, still not entirely obvious to some for a moment even after the statement, is that for any transaction to take place, there must be both a buyer and a seller. For sure, falling prices suggest that sellers are more willing than buyers, with lower prices nudging the buyers into action. Same on the way up. When markets are rising, there must be sellers willing to take the other side of the trades being sought by the buyers. Higher prices might then be required to incentivize those sellers. And, sure, there are mechanisms in place seeking to ensure that the price-setting aspects of the market are orderly and fair, but market prices ultimately settle at the point where someone who no longer wishes to own a particular stock transacts with someone who does. Still, we don't think that each trade should be seen as an optimist's optimism being offset by a pessimist's pessimism. Rather, a trade may best be thought of as one person having found a better use for invested monies, while another saw the seller's securities as that better option. This should not be surprising. Actual transactions might be the most prevalent and obvious, but contradictory opinions can be found across the investment landscape. Consider decisions regarding where to invest across the bond space. Two sets of characteristics tend to explain the majority of the differences from one bond to another. Their individual exposure to interest rate risk and credit risk. Exposure to interest rate risk is generally related to the length of time until a bond matures. The longer until maturity, the more sensitive the bond will be to changes in interest rates. Normally, that direct relationship between maturity and interest rate risk is reflected in the fact that longer-term bonds generally offer higher interest rates than shorter-term bonds. Investors tend to demand this excess yield to compensate for their perceived acceptance of those greater interest rate risks. In normal times, then, the yield curve is observed to be upward sloping, with the slope connecting generally lower short-term rates with generally higher long-term rates. At present, however, the yield curve is inverted. That is, longer-term interest rates are lower than shorter-term interest rates. So what gives? Well, one can argue that investors in longer-term bonds believe short-term interest rates will move lower over the duration of their ownership of those bonds. This is because those same investors might otherwise buy shorter-duration bonds and roll proceeds at each bond's maturity into another short-term bond, in this way potentially reducing exposure to interest rate risk. By owning longer-term bonds, then, these investors are more comfortable locking in those longer-term rates, even though they might be able to earn a higher yield in the short term, because they believe that the total return of their longer-term positions will maximize income over the whole time frame. Other buyers of long-term bonds might be thinking about things in a short-term context, though. Because bond prices generally move in the opposite direction of interest rates, some owners of long-term bonds might be betting that rates will fall in the short term, thereby generating a potential capital gain on those positions, which they may then choose to realize well before the bond's maturity. Some short-term bond investors, on the contrary, might believe that long-term interest rates will move higher, much as they have over the past few months, and are parking their bond investments in the higher-yielding front end of the curve, awaiting for more favorable longer-term rates to evolve. And many bond investors, regardless of where in the curve they presently are investing, may just be happy enough to lock in a given rate because the related maturity directly matches a known requirement for cash such that they can make the investment and then forget about it until the bond matures. 
That's just a short list of potential drivers of interest rate movements. And speaking of movements, perhaps presenting the greatest challenges of the recent past have been the sizable shifts in the U.S. Treasury yield curve we've seen since the Federal Reserve started lifting rates back in March of 2022. We reviewed this interest rate volatility a few months ago in our March commentary and would be happy to provide an updated reference chart to those who are interested. That chart would show that interest rates have proved just as volatile since then, reflecting the evolution of the macroeconomic trends against which interest rates tend to shift. Bond market volatility also expresses shifts in the Federal Reserve's monetary policy responses to those changes in trends and, in turn, fluctuations in investor thinking regarding both the evolving macroeconomic environment and potential changes in Federal Reserve policies. And in that sense, it's important to note that the current inverted yield curve represents the net effect of all the decisions investors have made to address the characteristics of the current investment environment in the context of their particular investment goals. And those decisions can often look contrarian, depending on one's own investment objectives. Of course, without those differences, there'd be little reason to invest in the first place, as differences of opinion can be seen as among the primary drivers of differences in return expectations. All this rate volatility has led to a wide range of, you most certainly should be doing this, pronouncements from market pundits as well. As we hope listeners well know by now, much as we pay attention to the broader marketplace of investment ideas, we tend to tune out those opinions that focus on the short term. This approach doesn't mean we send forget our investment allocations, though. In investment parlance, our investment decisions are strategic rather than tactical in nature. Instead of attempting to time shorter-term moves in the market, tactical objectives that we believe few, if any, investors have found reliable methods to achieve, our approach focuses on investment goals first, and we seek to strategically alter exposures in a manner that we believe presents an optimal path to reaching those goals in the context of the ever-evolving investment landscape. That is, it's generally not the case that we wake up one morning and, based solely on today's latest numbers, alter our views on particular investments. While we seek to design our portfolios to accommodate much of that ever-evolving bit, secular shifts sometimes demand that we implement changes to portfolio allocation. Several occasions in the past, we've implemented meaningfully different strategies across our investment portfolios based on medium-term shifts in investment and macroeconomic trends. Our decision to alter fixed income exposures in our portfolios last year in response to impending shifts in Federal Reserve policy was just one example. Still, we've learned over a few decades of investment experience that investment goals are most efficiently met, that client goals are best pursued, by focusing on investment outcomes, whether they are shorter or longer term in nature. The potential benefits of changes in positioning may not be realized in the short term, and this approach at times may leave some scratching their heads as to just how we've arrived at our investment conclusions. We're generally happy, of course, to share the reasoning behind portfolio positioning. And that reasoning often involves the notion that we continue to believe that maintaining objectives that at times may seem contrary to at-the-present views can be seen as part of the mix of attributes that we expect to make our approach to investing more productive over the long term. Importantly, this podcast is not presented as an investment recommendation. This is not a solicitation to invest in any investment product of Signature Resources Capital Management. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and are not intended as investment advice or to predict future performance. The approach described may not be right for everyone. No one listening to this podcast should take our comments as advice specific to 
or appropriate for their individual situations. Individual circumstances should be taken into consideration when determining a suitable investment approach. All investing carries risk, including the potential loss of principal. As with any analysis of economic and market data, it is important to remember that past performance is no guarantee of future results.